like to begin our Tisha B'Av program this year, given everything that's been happening in Israel, all the protests. There's a prayer for unity that Rav Yosef Tzvi Rimon, great rabbinic figure in Israel, is asking rabbis all over the world to include this in their programs. So I'd just like to begin with a special tefillah where he writes, I call upon every man and woman in Am Yisrael to focus on our unifying aspects as one people. Let us pray for every Jew who faces any tribulation to be delivered. Let us make every effort to reveal what unifies us and make sure not to slander anyone and look at those around us positively. And he continues, was blessed our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God should bless, safeguard every man and woman in the nation of Israel. And place within our hearts the capacity to see everything with a good eye. Right? To look upon each other favorably. And fill us with great love for each and every Jew. And we should merit unity. Strong unity. And a complete salvation. In the 1930s, there was a prominent pediatrician by the name of Dr. Janos Korzak. He was working in a children's hospital in Warsaw, Poland. At the age of 30, he gave up what was a very promising medical practice to become an advocate and to create a progressive orphanage that soon became admired throughout Europe for children. He had his own radio show, he was a writer, he was an advocate on behalf of children. He was like, Korzak was like the Dr. Seuss of his generation. And after the Germans invaded Poland and Jews were sent and forced to move into ghettos, Dr. Korzak moved in to the Warsaw Ghetto with the orphans from his orphanage. In August 1942, when the German soldiers came to collect 192 orphans and the staff members to transport them to Treblinka, the Polish underground offered Korzak sanctuary on the quote-unquote Aryan side. He turned it down and he said that he could not abandon his children. And so to prepare for their trip, Korzak told the orphans that they were going to the country, that they should be cheerful. He told them they would finally get out of the crowded city and be able to be in nature with meadows and flowers. He told the children to wear nice clothing, to put on their best, to come in a happy mood. And on August 5th, 1942, the children dressed in their best, each carrying a blue knapsack and a favorite book or toy. There was an eyewitness who described the scene and I quote, Janusz Korzak was marching, his head bent forward, holding the hand of a child. A few nurses were followed by 200 children dressed in clean and meticulously cared for clothes as they were being carried to the altar. There was another witness, another eyewitness, 
that when the orphans reached their destination, an SS officer recognized Korzak as the author of one of his favorite children books, and he offered to help him escape. And again, Korzak refused. He boarded the trains with the children and was never heard from again. Dr. Korzak never abandoned his children, even in their darkest hour. You know, we're going to Israel, please God, bringing a group from MJE on Motzi Shabbat this Saturday night, please God. And we visit every year at Har Herzl, in Israel's National Cemetery, we go to the grave of Roe Klein. Roe Klein was a commander who saw a grenade thrown at his platoon. And he understood that if he didn't do something, if he didn't act decisively, many of them would have been killed. So he threw himself on the grenade. Before he did so, he told, he told one of the officers to call in his death, threw himself on the grenade, saving the entire platoon, leaving a wife and two children. And I'm sharing these two stories of heroism. Because Rabbi Lamb, my teacher, blessed memory, my Dr. Norman Lamb said that this is one of the reasons for Tisha B'Av, is to remember those who died for our people and for our faith, and including every Jew whose life is taken because they are a Jew. How many of our Jewish brothers and sisters did we lose this year in terrorist attacks to Israel? These people all deserve to be remembered. Whether someone chose to go to their death, like Korzak or Roe Klein, or whether their life was taken, they all died al Kiddush Hashem in the sanctification of God's name, and they deserve to be remembered. Every person, said Rabbi Lamb, who lives a noble life, wants to feel that his, all of his toil has not been in vain. He wants to feel that in someone in the distant, distant future will someday say, here lived and thrived an honest and God-fearing man. Sort of feeling you get, he said, when you come upon a place where once there was a great and mighty oak tree, which graced its surroundings with its majesty and gave cool shade to the weary traveler. Then the oak died and was chopped down. And you come near that place and see the stump which once was that majestic oak and you say with a heavy heart and a sigh, here there was once a beautiful tree. That's what Tishabah is for. It's a day for us to come to terms with a part of our lives, with our heroes and with a part of our history that is painful. One of my colleagues and friends, Rabbi David Zirkin, he's rabbi in Riverdale, and he said that the difference between Tisha B'Av and all the other Jewish holidays is that all the other holidays commemorate some event from the past. Pesach commemorates redemption from Egypt, Shavuot, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. But Tisha B'Av, he said, was established in advance of the events that it commemorates. Right? The Talmud tells us it was on this night, on the night of Tisha B'Av, that the spies came back with that devastating report and the Jewish people cried, the Talmud says, a cry of nothingness. And God established this day as a b'chiyah ledorot, as a time of crying for generations. And so yes, Tisha B'Av commemorates all of these terrible moments of destruction. The destruction of our temples, 
the defeat of the Bar Kokhva revolt, the, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, all the pogroms in Europe, the Holocaust. But Tishabov also commemorates events not simply on that fixed list. Every time there's another terrorist attack in Israel, every time any one of us goes through something painful in our lives, we add that new event to what we now need to process today on Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is still happening. It's a living, living breathing dynamic. And the, the good news is the fact that it's alive and evolving means that depending on how we use this day, we, we can transform this from a day of sadness and lamenting to a day of rejoicing. Indeed, our sages teach that the day of Tisha B'Av is the day that the Mashiach, the Messiah, is supposed to reveal itself. In fact, we don't recite one of the saddest prayers in our liturgy, the Tachanun, where we sort of fall on our faces. The one day a year you would think we would say the Tachanun because it's such a sad prayer. We don't say it. Because within this destruction and within the sorrow of Tisha B'Av lies the seeds of redemption. Tisha B'Av is a day in flux. We don't have to settle for what has been. We can redeem it. And we do this by recognizing that all sadness and suffering and tragedy is all because of what's called in Hebrew the siluk hashchina, the removal of God's presence from the temple and really from our lives. See, God commanded our ancestors when they were in the wilderness. We hadn't even gotten to Israel. God said, Asuli Mikdash, make for me a Mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, Vishachati Betocham, so that I can dwell among you. Hashem wanted to have a home with us. A home is something you share with someone that you're intimate. And that's why the groom under the chuppah says to his beloved, Hare'at Mikudashet Li, you are betrothed to me. Li, Vasuli Mikdash, make for me a sanctuary so we can live together. You are my beloved. And that's the Echa we're about to start. Jeremiah, who prophesied about and experienced the destruction of the first temple, starts the book we're about to read from the Torah, Echa Yashva Badat. How can Jerusalem sit all alone? Jeremiah is saying this after the destroyed temple. But it's really speaking about us because we are sitting here tonight alone. We've lost our home. We've lost Hashem in the home. And how could we have lost that intimacy, we ask, when God played not a secondary role in our lives, but a primary role? The whole base of Mikdash, the whole temple was about this closeness. And that's what we're crying about tonight and tomorrow. It's the absence of Hashem in our lives. The lack of clarity we have, how hard it is to feel connected spiritually. I can't tell you how many people come, you know, and I feel it too. I just don't feel it. Rabbi, I want to feel connected. I just don't feel it. Our generation struggles to be connected. And we live in such a time of skepticism and doubt. We wonder why we are so unhappy because we're so disconnected from our source. And that's what tonight and tomorrow is about. 
It's not just about crying over the temple's destruction. It's about getting reconnected. Freud wrote that when people misplace things, right, and cannot find them, the therapeutic method that he suggested was to coax the patient's mind to recall, to recall all the details surrounding the misplacing of that object. It's, you know, it's like retracing your steps. That's what we're doing. We're retracing our steps to retrieve what we've lost. And the Talmud tells us that when the first temple was destroyed, there were small groups of Pirche Kahuna. Those were the young priests who gathered together. And in their hands, they held the keys to the temple and they cried out before God, O Lord of the universe, because we were not loyal guardians of your home, we returned the keys to you. And out of nowhere, this form of a hand descended from heaven, took the keys, after which they hurled themselves into the flames, consuming the first temple, the Beit HaMikdash. And Rabbi Lamb says, just tonight when we say Eicha, bemoaning all of our tragedies, we don't do this just to mourn. We're doing this to retrace our steps to find those keys. The keys to the temple. The keys that were initially in our hands, but then we had to give them back. And through our mourning and our fasting, our lamenting and our yearning to be closer, we retrace those steps so we can find those precious keys and we know where they are. They're in Hashem's hands, waiting, waiting for us to take them back so we can rekindle that special relationship. We know where our happiness lies. It's all in Hashem's hands. And in doing so, we are assured by our sages that the Geula Shlema, that ultimately the final redemption will come and we will be returned to our special home with Hashem in Yerushalayim Habnuyah, in a rebuilt Jerusalem. But we first have to ask, Eicha, how could this have happened? Eicha Yeshva Badad, how is it that we're sitting all alone? We so miss you, Hashem. We want to come back. We begin Eicha. Eicha. Please turn to page 26 in your prayer books. <laughs> 